0: Thank you, Jason, for reading scripture this morning. I might say glad to have Anna Brown with us this morning after a, kind of an extended absence due to physical factors, and also Sam and Geneva. You know, been quite a few months since you were here. Glad to have you with us this morning. The song that Ashley sang talked about the fact you know, light of fire. God lit a fire, if you please, in the lives of the people to whom Hebrews was written. And as time went on, that fire was beginning to waver a little. There was a temptation apparently for these these Jewish believers to go back to the Old Testament system of sacrifice. The writer of Hebrews is encouraging them to persevere because Christ is better than Moses, Aaron, the prophets, and so on. He's encouraging them with the fact that genuine faith perseveres. And in relation to our own lives, will you be publicly insulted at work or at school before you would desire knowing and experiencing Christ? Will you accept insult from others before denying that you know or experience Christ? Is faith a leap in the dark, trusting in an unknowing God? The writer of Hebrews is saying, faith is not a leap in the dark, trusting in an unknowing God. It's entrusting yourself to one who has revealed himself so very greatly in the person of Christ. We want to look at Hebrews chapter 10, 32 through 39 this morning. And as we do, keep in mind that this comes after 10 and one-half chapters of Christ is better than. Christ is better than everything in the Old Testament. It comes after three and a half chapters of Christ, once for all sacrifice in Hebrews Chapter 7, 1 through chapter 10 and verse 18. Christ paid the sin or penalty for sin. We by nature are separated from God. We're slaves to sin. We're dead in our transgressions and sins. And the writer of Hebrews says Christ, once for all sacrifice, paid for sin. It comes after the fact that we have a great high priest over the house of God comes after the fact that we can draw near to God. Comes after the fact that we can hold on swervingly to the hope we profess. Comes after the fact that we're to consider one another and spur one another on toward love and good deeds. It comes after the fact that he says, don't give up meeting together, but rather encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Ten and a half chapters of Christ, the body of Christ. And then in verses 26 through 31, as we discussed last week, there's a strong warning being issued. Don't turn from Christ because there's a fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Don't trample underfoot the blood of the covenant. To an individual, but to a body. He's addressing a body. As a body, draw close to God. That includes individuals, but as a body, draw close to God. As a body, consider one another. As a body, spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Therefore, it is wise to daily, weekly, Be sensitive to others in the local body and how we should respond to them. Who needs encouragement? Who needs spurring on? Who's going through a difficulty? Because the epistles are written to bodies of believers. We by nature tend to think and live as if I am doing well, everything is fine. The writer of Hebrews is saying You may be doing well, but the next person may not be doing well. And that person becomes your concern because you're a body. Christ the head, the body, functioning in dependency upon Christ, but ministering to one another. Writing to this body of believers, encouraging them to persevere. In verse 32, he says, Remember those earlier days after you received the light, when you stood your ground in great contest in the face of suffering, Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You sympathized with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. He's writing to a group of believers that apparently are being tempted to go back, to turn from Christ, once for all sacrifice. So He says, remember. Remember. Remember what? Those earlier days after you had received the light. Reflect back on when you came to faith in Christ. How you responded at that point in time. Remember. What are they to remember? when you stood your ground in great contest in the face of suffering." stood your ground. There's firm. There's no retreat. There's no backing off. But standing the ground, we're going to stand on Christ. Stand on Christ and His once for all sacrifice. Don't regress to some Old Testament form of sacrifice. Stand your ground And he talks about the great contest in the face of suffering. And the word contest comes from the Greek word that involves an athletic event. And if you've ever been to an athletic event or you watch on TV a football game, a basketball game, there's tremendous effort being applied. And the coaches, are egging them on. Apply your effort. The team members at times are pushing one another on. There's a great contest here, not of an athletic event, but rather of great suffering. He says, remember, after you received the light, when you stood your ground in great contest in the face of suffering. As we think about the early church and we think about suffering, in Acts chapter 16... Verses 22 through 24, we find that Paul, along with Silas, went through some difficulty. Acts 16 and verse 22, the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. Upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. And the Hebrew believers that Hebrews is written to didn't necessarily go through that. But that was part of what was happening in the early days of the church. In Acts 17, you'll find that in Thessalonica, Paul got in trouble. He created an uproar because of the cross of Christ, because of the gospel he preached. We find in Berea, he again caused a problem. There was persecution. In Acts 19, there was again, again, persecution. The saints to whom Hebrews is written are being encouraged to remember that in this battle, this contest, this event of facing suffering persevere. He goes on to explain some things that happened. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. Now publicly Publicly exposed comes from the Greek that talks about being put on a stage, being put in a platform where you can be seen. He's saying some of you were taken. You were put on the platform, so to speak, in view of others. For what reason? To be insulted and to be persecuted. You know, the persecution apparently didn't take place behind the scenes. They were held up. It was a public thing. People knew what was going on. Insulted. To be persecuted. The idea behind persecution is a pressing together. A distress being in straits. What am I going to do? You know, they're being pressed upon. Why? Because of their faith in Christ. He goes on, he says, remember that at other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. To stand side by side with someone, what are you doing? You're being a companion. You're being with them. Come up here a second, Bill, would please. You're standing beside them. You care for them. Someone's going through a difficulty. What do you do? You keep your distance. No? You didn't do anything wrong. You will make it, Bill. You stand know, side by side. You don't let them hang alone. You care for them. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're talking about a union, a caring, standing side by side. You stood side by side. You're partakers with those who are so treated. You're partakers with those who are going through persecution. You're partakers with those who've been set up on the platform, so to speak, and been insulted. You stand with them side by side. He goes on and he says, you sympathized with those in prison. The idea of sympathized is compassion. You had compassion with those in prison. Now please understand that being in prison in that day was not like it is today. He's not talking about someone who is in prison because they violated the law and they're being punished. He's talking about someone being in prison because of their faith in Christ and taking a stand for Christ. And in that day, prison was such that your basic needs were not provided for. You needed someone on the outside to bring you some food and some other items that you might need. That's why Paul talked about the fact that when he was in prison, he had people minister to him. So if Jim were in prison this week because of his stand for Christ, someone would have to go up to the Luzerne County Prison and take him some food. Someone might have to take him a blanket and say, here's something to keep you warm. No, he wouldn't sit in there and say, I want three square meals a day and, you know, give me nice clothing or, you know, give me a TV to watch or whatever. You know, he would have been in difficulty. And he says, you sympathize, you have compassion with those in prison. The next phrase is hard to react to, at least for me. And joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. The idea of joyfully accepting is to embrace. Grab a hold of something and bring it to yourself. What did they embrace? The confiscation of their property. So Jeff and Anita come next week and say, yesterday, the mob was by our place. They took our property. What are we going to do? And Lee and Grace say, come on over. We don't got a big place, but we'll give you a roof over your head. Ray and Sharon come next week and say, the mob confiscated our property. They took it from us. And someone says, why'd they take it? Because we're Christians. And they just came and took it. They signed it over to their names. They didn't do anything legal. They just did it. Danny and Karen say, don't worry. Come on over to our place. And Jeff and Anita and Ray and Sharon are joyfully embracing that. That their property was confiscated. And he's saying, remember, when you came to Christ, you went through some difficulties and you stood your ground. Continue to focus on Christ. And the idea of confiscation is a violent, unjust seizure of property. That is happening in our world today. In some of the Mideast countries, someone will just come and destroy property or take it and it becomes someone else's property. Why? Because they're a Christian. So there's nothing new under the sun. Why, should, why did they joyfully accept this confiscation of their property? Because you know that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. There's something beyond this property we own. We have something coming in the future. So we'll joyfully accept this because in the future there is something coming. He's saying, don't give up on Christ. Don't give up on the once for all sacrifice of Christ. For you, for us today, remember your passion to worship with other believers when you came to Christ. Remember your passion to encourage others. Remember your passion to spur others on. Remember your passion to talk with God. Remember your passion for scripture. That's where the writer of Hebrews is coming from. You know, Christ has to be great to be willing to have your property confiscated and still remain faithful to Christ. Christ has to be great to be willing to be made fun of in a public setting. Am I willing to be insulted in school or on my job? To be faithful to Christ. Will I lose my job before I'll deny Christ in any manner? The exhortation is remember. What you went through when you came to Christ. Remain faithful to Christ. In verses 35-39 through he gives some encouragement. Encouraging these people to stand firm. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Because of Christ, there was confidence. There was freedom in speaking. There was a fearlessness because of Christ. So apparently they spoke for Christ. That resulted in being insulted. That resulted in losing property. That resulted in going to prison. He says, don't throw away your confidence because it's going to be rewarded in the future. See, a future reward, the writer says, enables you to stand firm in the present. What we believe about the future influences the present. He goes on, he says, you need to persevere. You need to remain under, remain under persecution. Do not seek to escape by renouncing your faith. Well, get out of this persecution. I'll just renounce Christ. And the writer of Hebrews says, no, persevere. Remain under persecution and show that you're a true child of God. Because Hebrews 12 and verse 7 says, endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. Christianity is no flash in the pan. Christianity is no flash in the pan. You began well and you're going along. Persevere. Remain. Keep going. If Christ was good enough back here, He's good enough in what you're facing in the present. Persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what He has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. Faith is looking to Christ. And he quotes here from Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 4. He quotes from Romans 1 and verse 17. He quotes from Galatians 3 and verse 11. In all of those passages, it talks about the fact that the righteous live by faith. If you go back to Habakkuk chapter 2, you will find what is happening in Habakkuk. Habakkuk is complaining to God. God, I look at your people Judah, and they're messed up. There's violence, there's destruction. They're not walking in sensitivity to you. And he whines to God. And God says, Habakkuk, listen, I have something to say about this. I'm going to judge my people, Judah. And I'm going to judge them with the Babylonians, who are a vicious people. And God gets done responding to Habakkuk. And Habakkuk turns around at the beginning of the chapter and says, hold it, Lord. You're going to use the end of chapter 1, that is, you're going to use a people more evil and violent than us to discipline your people? And he whines and complains again to God. And God says, hold it, Habakkuk, let me respond again to you. And it is in that context that he says to Habakkuk, the just, the righteous will live by faith. Habakkuk, I'm expecting you to trust me enough that in time I will judge Israel, or Judah rather, and after I judge Judah, in time I will judge the Babylonians. But you're going to have to take me at my word because it won't all happen in your lifetime. And Habakkuk says at the end of his book, I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the, sound of de- at the sound, decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will be Joyful in God, my Savior. So two years later, Habakkuk is thinking, fig trees aren't doing very well. No grapes in the vine. The yellow crop is failing. I'm still going to trust in the Lord because the Lord said, the Babylonians will take over us. And in time, the Babylonians will be judged. I will live by faith. It looks bleak. It looks desolate. But I'll live by faith. In Romans chapter 1, Paul talks about the gospel. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and to the Greek. And in the very next verse, it says, the just will live by faith. Faith in what? Christ alone. In Galatians, Paul argues as he writes to the Galatians and says, don't go back to some form of works because it's Christ and Christ alone. in verse 11 he says of chapter 3 the just will live by faith. And he's saying to the Hebrews here the writer or to the people he's writing to in Hebrews you take Christ by faith. Persecution yes, faith insult yes, but trust Christ by faith. Prison, yes, but trust Christ by faith. Faith continues to look to Christ once for all sacrifice. It does not demand seen results or evidence. Dependency is upon God, who demonstrates himself in Christ coming among humans, living holy, dying for our sins, rising from the dead, ascending to his Father, in interceding for us. Who or what has ever demonstrated such character and being? Don't turn back from Christ. Faith is not in the unseen or lack of evidence. Faith is in God who demonstrated the totality of his character in the person of Christ. Whoever demonstrated what God demonstrated in Christ People struggle with a God who would allow such suffering and evil as is in our world today. Can we point them to Christ who came into this evil world, who was crucified by his own choice? People struggle with God creating the universe. Can we point to the creator who humbled himself and came as a servant to humanity? Faith is not a blind leap into the darkness. Faith is a dependency upon God who revealed himself in creation in Christ. Faith is in the person who demonstrated his power in creation and the totality of his majestic character in Christ. It's not a leap into the darkness. It's a leap into God who demonstrated himself in the creation that we can observe in the Christ that came to this earth. And he's exhorting the Hebrew readers here to be faithful. Why would we choose to turn from such a great God? Is anyone or anything better? Is my effort better? Is Mohammed better? Is James Dobson better? Is the Pope better? Is Chip Ingram better? Is the great music group better? Is evolution better? Is a flashy service better? writer of Hebrews is saying, Christ. Be faithful because of Christ and who he is. And he concludes chapter 9 by saying, but we are not, or chapter 10 by saying, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. We're not of those who shrink back from Christ and Christ alone and turn to an Old Testament system of sacrifice. We're not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but those who believe and are saved. His exhortation is to persevere. Go on. In chapter 11, he gives example after example of people who before Christ persevered. They had faith in this God who created the universe. In chapter 12, he gives the exhortation. In verse 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scoring its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Christ is the slow, steady obedience in the present while looking for a future rich reward. Give up looking for the flashy, the exciting, the big event and pursue knowing Christ. Running from one event to another, from one book to another, from one speaker to another, from one DVD to another, hails lacks in contrast to Christ glory in Christ nothing wrong with the items i mentioned but glory in Christ persevere faithfully follow through on the basics life in Christ body life or one another's corporate worship following a shepherd be steady Be consistent in those items. They produce Hebrews 11 people. The reward, the blessing is not here on this earth, but in eternity. Live by faith. Taking God at his word and acting in light of his word. Persevere. Persevere. Are you in Christ? If you're not a believer in Christ, why not come to Him today? He offers so much. If you're a believer in Christ, heed the encouragement and the admonition of Hebrews to persevere, live by faith, day by day, whatever may come. Just persevere. And as we sing together and then partake of communion, we're reflecting on Christ, the reason why we want to persevere. So let's sing together.